0: Or beat writer Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the newest member of the Portland Trailblazers bubble restart plan, and then we're going to talk about all about the bubble restart plan. This was supposed to be an episode where I had overflow from Mailbag Monday. There was a bunch of questions about the bubble. I organized them all to just bring you a show all about the bubble. And then, while I was recording that Mailbag Monday episode, if you haven't listened to it, it's the most recent one in your podcast feeds. But while I was recording that episode, the Blazers signed someone. Who did they sign, you ask? A gentleman named Jalen Adams is who they signed. And if you were like me, you said, wait, who is... Who is Jalen Adams? Here's how I know about Jalen Adams. Uh, some of y'all have asked, you know, who are the Blazers? Who could they sign? So I went to the internet and I typed in best players in the G League. And I saw Jalen Adams' name as the best player in the G League or one of the best players in the G League. And I said, well, he's 6'2". I don't, that, that isn't, that's not the plan. That, that doesn't work. So I, I moved on. So the, how I knew of Jalen Adams is a name on the list. But I have since learned more, and I will tell you about him now, and then kind of figure out why and how he fits with the Blazers going forward. Uh, I guess, importantly, the Blazers signed Adams to as a substitute for Trevor Reza, who has opted out of the Orlando restart. Uh, if you're into this type of thing and worry about billionaire's payrolls, uh, his money doesn't count against the salary cap. <laughs> you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't care about that thing particularly right now, but yeah... For whatever, The Allen estate gets a break here because of the NBA rules. Uh, J- Jalen Adams himself will still get paid a pro-rated minimum deal. So who is Jalen Adams other than a name on the best players in the G League list? Well, he is a six 6'2", 24-year-old guard who was a standout four-year college player at St. Bonaventure, one of the best players in the Atlantic 10 for his final three seasons. He was a first-team All-A-10 member as a sophomore, junior, and senior. He graduated in 2018 and went undrafted, but he signed a two-way deal with the Hawks that year and appeared in 34 games with Atlanta. He averaged 3.2 points in 12.6 minutes a night. Basically, he played spot minutes, and then near the end of the season, the final 15 or so games, they kind of turned, turned, gave him... A regular spot in the rotation he played big minutes a couple nights um one game he had four threes but he was he didn't stick with Atlanta um they, they did not after his two-way deal expired they did not you know convert him to a uh convert him to a real deal NBA contract or bring him back the following year despite retaining his rights that's how two-way contracts works so Jalen Adams stuck with it got a got a uh some money to go to the Milwaukee Bucks training camp at the start of the 2019-20 season, but was cut in training camp and eventually signed with Milwaukee's G League affiliate, the Wisconsin Herd. Uh, as an aside, what a wonderful name um, for a G League team. They have cool jerseys too, which I can confirm because I have t- watched two separate five minute videos of Jalen Horde, Jalen of Jalen Adams' highlights. Uh, I, I think there's this there's this tendency to people say, I watched film. I didn't watch film. I watched two five-minute highlight tapes. He did not miss a single shot in the, in the uh, 10 minutes of highlights that I watched. He made them all. 100% from the floor. He's a pretty good player. But he is, like, legitimately a pretty good player. In the G League, he averaged 20.9 points, 4.9 rebounds, 5.2 assists, while shooting 48% from the floor, almost 49% from the floor, 40% from three, and 79% from the foul line. He also... Average 1.7 steals a game. I watched the steals in the highlights. Those are real. And about he played about 32 minutes a night, 31.7 minutes a night, in 34 games for the Herd. He was the G League runner-up, like a legitimately good player. So how did he go from name on the list to quote-unquote Trevor Ariza replacement? Well, he's not a Trevor Ariza replacement is the plan. My read on this is that the Blazers said, We need to add another player just because we need bodies and guys who can play. Who is the best player available? Who is the BPA? Because I've mentioned this in the podcast a bunch and I'll mention it again here there just aren't a lot of good wings out there there's just there aren't dudes who are Trevor Ariza sized Trevor Ariza's length and and ability if there were six foot eight guys who could shoot they'd already be in the league so that wasn't really an option I, I think they decided against going it seems like they they decide going against the veteran route and saying bring in someone like Amon Shumpert um perhaps they just weren't interested in, in that in that style of signing so what they did was they decided to go for the best player available they said okay let's just who is the according to our internal scouting according to what we've done with scouting guys outside of the NBA and outside of our our roster who is the best player we could possibly sign and they went and got the best player they could sign a guy who almost wins a G League MVP is a very good player Tim Frazier was a G League MVP was he was rookie of the year and MVP I believe in the same season uh and he turned out to he turned out to be a really serviceable backup point guard. Uh, I think I think Tim Frazier's out of the league now, but he's you know, he played 4 years as a third guard on a lot of teams. Like that the line between absolute stud in the G League and NBA player is thin and it's and it might not be it's not perfectly translatable to if you are a star in the G League, you are a contributor in the league, but it does probably mean that you deserve to be on an NBA roster, and that's my reading of what the Blazers did here. They said, this dude is probably an NBA player. Let's get him on the team. So, what does it mean for the Blazers going forward? I don't think Jalen Adams is part of the, the rotation. Um... It would be hard for me to believe that he would leapfrog Anthony Simons or Gary Trent Jr. for backup point guard minutes. Obviously, he's not going to compete with Damon CJ, and it seems like if the Blazers are going to go with three guard lineups, the smallest of the guards, the 6 foot 2 Jalen Adams, seems like the wrong Choice if you have a six four Anthony Simons and a six five ish six four ish Gary Trent Jr. At least you have a little more size and a little more length. Uh, neither of those two guys I just mentioned on the roster are are you know high level wing defenders, but they're familiar with the Blazers system. They're just a they're almost certainly better contributor than Adams will be. What Adams is is the like i said the best player available the best player the blazers probably identified as as a real option that could help them in case things went south they said let's get let's just try to find the best non-nba player we can find and add him to the roster because we are not going to get a one for one substitute for trevor reza it's just your that player is not available but who was available was a 6 foot 2 guard who has been very productive in the g league and is somewhat of a known entity as far as the Blazers scouting department is concerned. I promised this was going to be an overflow of Mailbag Monday with just some of your questions from Twitter and Gmail kind of uh, channeling this conversation. And in that spirit, Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter asked, because I know you're a huge Jalen Adams fan, who will play more minutes in the bubble, Adams or Wenyon Gabriel? Also, who is more likely to be on the roster next season? I'm going to go Wenyon Gabriel for both just because he's taller. And I think there's a chance that, I mean, the Blazers are going to play something like eight games in 15 days, I believe is the math. They're going to need the bench. They're going to need their depth. But I think Damian Willis going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes a night. So there's not a lot of room for backup point guards. And I think most of those backup point guard minutes get absorbed by CJ McCollum. And then those were the off chance that they play without Damian CJ on the court for any extended period of time. Seems like it would go to Anthony Simons. On the other hand, I can see a scenario where Wenyan Gabriel, like he did against the Lakers, plays random spot minutes as a small forward because he's got length and he plays hard on the wing. And I don't think either of them are very likely to be on the team next year, but I'll say Wenyan again because of the position thing. All right, in the second segment, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the bubble, uh, specifically how the Blazers are going to approach the NBA restart, my thoughts on their schedule heading into the nba restart in orlando and all those things you all asked a bunch of questions i'm going to get to all of those as promised in this non-mailbag but still question based episode question guided episode but before we get to that second segment i want to tell y'all about rockauto.com rockauto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years you can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts for from hundreds of manufacturers they got everything from engine control modules, brake, pa- brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On" in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Right. So we sort of figure out who Jalen Adams is. He's a talented G League guard who's going to join the Blazers in Orlando. But now we know more about what the NBA restart is going to look like. And many of you on Monday, when I solicited questions for the Mailbag Monday episode, asked questions specifically about the bubble, so I kind of pushed it back a little bit. I'll get to those questions, but first, Here's what the Blazers' schedule is going to look like. It begins July 31st in theory. All of this is in theory. When I talk about the NBA restart, who boy, a lot could change by July 31st. Uh, A month seems like a very long time from now. It'll come up quickly and take forever to get here. That's kind of how time works these days. But they start July 31st against Memphis. Then they play Boston, Houston, Denver, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Dallas Mavericks, and finish out their schedule against the Brooklyn Nets. That's tough, right? That sounds like a worse schedule than the Blazers had before. Only two of those teams, Memphis and Brooklyn, are below five hundred. Everybody else on the schedule has a winning record, and the Blazers this season were just 3-12 and combined against the eight opponents they're going to face in Orlando. Those wins, two against Houston, one against the Dallas Mavericks. That win against Dallas was way back in the third game of the season. You will recall it was the night that Zach Collins hurt his shoulder. It's been a long time. The Blazers just didn't beat that many good teams this year. It's kind of the issue. But now to your question. Jeff Ellsworth, at, Ellsbells on, oh, at Ellsbells08 on Twitter, asked, What is your best conspiracy theory for, theory for the bubble schedule? Did the Blazers get hosed because they voted against the restart plan? Okay, the Blazers were the only team to vote against the restart plan, and I don't think that's why they specifically got hosed. I think here's how it shakes out. Here's Here's my theory. The NBA definitely wants Zion Williamson to play to have a chance to play LeBron James and the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. They got the league needs to make money. Zion versus LeBron is a money maker. It's a bigger money maker than Damian Lillard. Should it be I don't know, probably not, but that's it's just the truth. It's just Pelicans Lakers is a storyline that television and the Disney corporation and and ESPN and the league that's what they want. The NBA wants it. Okay? That's so the Pelicans got maybe a little bit of gift. I think that's more. it's more important that the Pelicans got hooked up. They play six teams with losing records than it is that the Blazers got hosed, quote-unquote. One of the issues for the Blazers is that before the season was, was called off, they had 16 games left, and nine of those were against uh, teams with losing records. So they were kind of set up heading into the... I don't know, heading into the second half of March, the season ended March 11th. So yeah, heading into the second half of March, they were looking at a a favorable schedule and a chance to make the playoffs. The problem was that six of those nine games, so nine games against teams below 500 of their final 16, and six of those were against teams that aren't in the playoff picture. So the Blazers were really going to, you know, face the Hornets and the Pistons, and they were going to kind of fatten up on like truly awful teams. So when the, when this scenario played out, the Blazers were already at a disadvantage because some of their, you know, cakewalky schedule was just naturally eliminated by who was involved. But the other thing is, I think the new Orleans stuff is a little bit overblown. Um, their schedule, if you if you want to believe this, actually got a little bit harder in terms of like overall win percentage. They had the easiest schedule of any of the 22 teams heading to Orlando when the season was called off New Orleans was still looking at the easiest schedule in the NBA. Now that the season is back on, they've got the easiest schedule in the NBA. The Blazers kind of went the other way. They were... Uh, this is just a among the twenty two teams. They were they had the sixteenth toughest schedule, so they were in the you know the bottom third. They had one of the bottom thir- bottom thirty percent easiest schedules. Now they have the fifth toughest. They just jumped the other way, and they jumped the other way because I think largely just because of the way things shook out. I don't think they got I, I don't think they got hosed specifically. Els bells. What I think happened is that when the total number of teams was reduced, and so now we're just we're dealing with twenty two teams. The, the teams in front of the Blazers, or right there with the Blazers in the standings, Sacramento and New Orleans, Sacramento's schedule got a little bit easier. Memphis, which had a notoriously tough schedule and was dealing with a lot of injuries, a la the Blazers when the season was called off, their schedule got easier and they got everybody back healthy. So while I don't think this is specifically, I think this is more function than conspiracy, that the way the schedule Shook out, but I don't think the Blazers got any favors. I don't think it worked out. (laughs) It'd be hard for me, hard pressed to say that this is a positive for the Blazers. So that's schedule talk. We've broken down the schedule. Uh, I believe my man Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter asks asked me to predict how all the games would go. And let me just tell you, Logan, I'm not gonna do that. Thanks for asking though. I don't know. It's going to be hard. They're going to need to win five games to make the to have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, if you see five for sure wins on that schedule, feel good about it. Five isn't a guarantee, but I think they need to go five and three at a minimum to force a play-in game. Uh, of course, the rules with the play-in game are you have to be within four games of if you're the ninth place team within four games of the eighth place team to force a play-in game. Where ninth would have to beat eighth twice, and eighth would only have to beat ninth once to make the the official playoff tournament um i don't think anyone catches the grizzlies they have a three and a half game cushion i don't think anyone catches them in eight games i just there's not enough time to to for it to happen but i do think a play-in tournament or a play-in you know matchup is very very likely and the blazers if they want to get there probably have to win five of those bad boys and maybe hope that new orleans a young team stumbles a little bit Okay, third segment, we're gonna close out the show with more of your questions about the NBA restart. Still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, still listening to the Locked on Blazers, and we're still talking about the NBA's restart plan in Orlando. This episode is kind of a spillover for Mailbag Monday, so it will be a question-guided third segment. A lot of y'all asked about, what do the Blazers do without a reese? A Christian from Gmail says, Mario, Ant, GT, Nas, and for those of you maybe less familiar with these guys, Mario Vazonia, Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Nazir Little, who would you show trust in first? Christian adds to me. It seems like every game will be very important for the Blazers, which might limit Stotts's ability to experiment with the lineup, which desperately needs bench players to step up. Considering the other tough opponents that the Blazers have on the schedule, these this game seems hugely important for staying in the race. Yeah, uh, the Memf- the Memphis game is pretty big. If um, if the Blazers are going to have a chance, I don't think um, I don't think. It seems unlikely that the math could include them losing to Memphis and and getting where they want to end up. Uh, it certainly could. They, you know, they could go 7-1 and one and lose to Memphis and make it happen. But uh, I agree that that first game is super important. So who would I show trust in? I would probably lean with Gary Trent Jr. I don't really see Nas as an NBA 3. Um, he... Terry has really limited his minutes next to Carmelo Anthony. He did it out of necessity eventually, um, and but he 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 avoided it a bunch, playing them as uh, you know flip flopping power forwards as opposed to two two forwards next to one another. Anthony Simons just isn't as productive as Gary Trent Jr. right now in his career, so I give Trent the nod there. And Mario Hazonia, I. I think he's just a guy who needs the ball in his hands to excel. He's an Evan Turner, and the Evan Turner problem was always when you play him with Damon C.J. and you give him the ball, it means that Damon C.J. don't have the ball, and those are your best scorers. I saw a little chart today from Seth Partner over The Athletic. Damon Lord is arguably the best shot creator in the league. You just want him to have the ball to create those shots. So I would still stick with Mario off the bench. Um, So yeah, that leaves me with Gary Trent Jr., which leads into my next question from Logan Gillis, who asks... With Ariza out, why not go nuts and start Gary Trent Jr.? We all know Stotts loves a three-guard lineup. Yeah, I think that's the most likely scenario. I've said it before. Um, I just said it in, this, in the previous question, and I'll say it to you now, Logan. I think that's the most likely and the best choice. I, I, I think that is, judging what we know by Stotts is that he goes with comfort. I think that's that kind of plays into what Christian is asking there. Um, And I think uh, Stotts, is, Stotts is most comfortable with Gary Trent Jr. playing at that uh, small forward spot. Next question comes from Jason from Gmail, who asks, Which player is more crucial to the Blazers' success in the bubble, Melo or Whiteside? Follow-up, which player is more likely to re-sign? This is a tough question. I'm not exactly sure. I think Melo at his absolute best is still a little bit worse, worse than Hassan Whiteside is at his absolute best, and I kind of think the Blazers... Route to success now is funky giant lineups. Hassan Whiteside potentially playing next to Yusuf Nurkic, a ton of Hassan Whiteside playing next to Zach Collins in these big bully lineups. So I think the crucial, what's crucial for the Blazers' success is that they play big and win big, and so that's why I would lean Whiteside. Which player is more likely to resign That's a tough one. I would probably lean Mellow because Mellow is probably going to be choosing between one minimum contract and another minimum contract, so it's kind of of where he wants to be. Money won't be a factor. With Whiteside, money and length of the deal might be a factor. Obviously, uh, the COVID-19 situation and the whole no fans in the stands next year might really mess with the salary cap so maybe Whiteside chooses to sign a short-term deal with the Blazers knowing that he can you know sign a short he can sign a one-year deal again and then hit free agency after that or perhaps he just looks for any type of security and so any team that offers him you know multiple years at, at or or even one year at the dollar figure he's looking at or prefers and maybe he goes there so I think I think Whiteside, because he'll have more options and there's much more variance in what his salary could be and certainly it could be much, much, much higher than Carmelo Anthony. I don't think Whiteside's going to be a minimum guy next year by any means. I think it makes Melo more likely to re-sign, but I don't know. I, don't, I think I kind of think they're... they Before this whole situation played out, I thought they were both gone. Now it kind of seems like... I, I think there's an outside chance that Hassan could be back. Okay, next question comes from... Hamilton from Gmail who asks, "Do you think Collins and Nurkic are going to make a huge impact?" Uh yes. I mean, yes. I think. I think particularly. Zach, I think Zach Collins is healthy. Um, I think Nurk's time away is a lot to. It's fifteen months away from the game. It's just a long time to get your legs. And in, in a regular NBA season, eight games. You know, that's like 10% of the season, but it's not unlikely or not unheard of for guys to take 8, 10, 12 games to kind of get their get their rhythm, get their uh, get their wind, get their like cardiovascular level to play NBA basketball. So I think it's harder for Nurk to come back because it's such a condensed schedule. Eight games is so quick. Eight games in 15 days is going to be a lot. I think he's going to be good because he's a good basketball player, but he, a huge impact I just, I'm a big believer in Nurk, but this particular scenario seems like a difficult one for him. Collins, less time away, less gruesome of an injury. Um, I think he's, I think he can be really good, and I think they really need him. I think Collins is a, if the Blazers are going to go where they want to go, Zach Collins is going to have to be good. So yeah, I think huge impact just because they're going to be asked to do a lot. Um, the other question from Hamilton is. Do you think Rodney Hood can come back if we make a long playoff run? No, Rodney Hood's out. He's not going to, not going to go to Orlando. Um, the team hasn't announced that, but I'm just guessing that. He's not going to go to Orlando. He's going to he's going to rehab. He's not close. Like He would be borderline able to play if they got to Game 7 of the NBA Finals on October 17th. So, no. No, Rodney Hood's not an option. Do not consider it. Hamilton's next question is, do you think Gary Trent Jr. can guard some of these elite small forwards and Isaiah from Washington who comes in with this full radio name Isaiah from Washington asks if we make the first round how are we going to deal with LeBron I think Collins would actually do well on the unibrow but because Ariza is out I'm having a hard time seeing how we contain LeBron so kind of seems like Hamilton's question is the bad answer to Isaiah's question Gary Trent Jr. I think is likely to start at small forward but how the hell do you guard these elite small forwards even before you get to lebron like lebron is the big one if they make the playoffs what the hell do they do in a seven game series against lebron but prior to that what do they do against jalen brown and jason tatum in boston what exactly do they do against james harden what do they do against Kawhi leonard and paul george when they play the clippers who's going to guard tobias harris who's going to guard Luka Doncic? i mean it's there's a lot of questions Hell, against the Nets, who guards Karis Levert? It's challenging, and my answer to your question is no. I don't think Gary Trent Jr. can guard these elite small forwards. Do I think he can compete and play hard against them? Sure, but he's not locking these dudes up. He's not tall enough. He's not that level of defender yet in his career. Um, You recall the pre-Ariza days. If you think hard enough, think back to that period of time known as October to the middle of January. The Blazers sucked on defense. They sucked. There's a chance that we get back to those pre risa days and they suck on defense again. The hope is not necessarily that one-on-one matchup against those talented wings. It's that with two bigs on the floor all the time, Collins, Nurk, Whiteside, any combination of those three um, is that the Blazers defend the rim really, really, really well. They don't, they own the paint. That's the hope, is that the, their defense takes an uptick because of their relative size, not because of Gary Trent Jr. transforming into something that he's not. Last question is from also from Isaiah from Washington, who says, what does the Blazers' path to the first round look like? And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I'll I'll, I'll revisit it quickly. I don't think any team Blazers included are catching the Grizzlies down three and a half games, three and a half games back with eight, eight to play. Uh, It would take just such a catastrophic meltdown from the Grizzlies. Like they're going to have to go two and six, one and seven. And then the other teams have to get hot. You know, they can't split. They can't go uh, four and four or whatever. They got to go five and three or better with help from the Grizzlies. And I just don't see the stars aligning that perfectly. So I think the path to the playoffs is absolutely a play-in game. And it's a play-in game against Memphis. So how do they get there? Well, they beat Memphis. And then they'll have seven games left. <laughs> and they got to win four of those at the very least and maybe five. I think the Blazers' passed to the playoffs as six wins in eight games. If you close your eyes and think back to those warm thoughts you felt in September when the Blazers were talking about hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy, Try to put yourself there. At that point, that was even before Yusuf Nurkic was going to be healthy. That was just, you know, this group with Dame, CJ, Zach, and Hassan Whiteside. That team was talking about very earnestly, honestly, and openly about winning championships. So if you can transport yourself back to that feeling and, and find that confidence, that's that the team the Blazers thought they had way back when needs to show up. They need to go six and two they gotta, they got to beat a bunch of good teams. And if this is a team that thinks they are a playoff caliber team in a very tough Western Conference, um, a team that could even be a handful in the first round against the best team in the West, they do it by, not by good luck or good fortune, but certainly you're going to need those things too, but by just being dominant, going 6-2 and two or 7-1. and one, And then when you meet the Grizzlies, beating them twice, earning it with, without faking the funk. You're going to have to win a play-in game, and then the reward is even tougher than that. But the path to the first round, I think, is six wins, five wins at an absolute minimum, six wins seems like more likely, and then two wins over Memphis. That's how you make the playoffs. That's the path. And the path happens because this roster that you thought was really good in September shows up now in July and August and is really good again in a truly bizarre scenario without Kent Bazemore, without Rodney Hood, without Trevor Ariza, anyone that they've tried to start at small forward, all of those dudes are unavailable. So the path will be challenging. But, you know, harness those championship beliefs you had about a year ago and maybe the Blazers will too. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate everyone that submitted questions to Mailbag Monday and waited till mailbag tuesday whatever questions tuesday to hear them answered i appreciate all of you who submitted them hopefully you've got a clearer picture of what the blazers bubble plan might look like and the newest guy who's going to join them when they do it tell your friends about this podcast they can get it wherever they already get podcasts just search Lockdown on blazer will be there waiting for you appreciate you listening talk to you soon